Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Breaking Changes podcast. I'm your host and chief evangelist for Postman, Ken Lane. With Breaking Changes, we explore topics from the world of APIs, but through the lens of business and engineering leadership. Joining me today, we have Arun Narnaswamy, Director of Engineering at Amadeus Labs. Listening to Arun talk about the relationship between APIs and the cloud took me back to the early days of my API work in 2010, while also helping me understand the symbiotic relationship between being API first and being cloud native. Let's start with the basics. Who are you and what do you do? Uh, hi, everyone. I'm mean, hi, hi, Ken. Uh, I'm, I'm Arun. Uh, I, I'm, I'm more of a cloud and a DevOps evangelist. That's, that's what I call myself. Uh, my, my responsibilities has been uh, in transforming companies into uh, DevOps ways or cloud ways of working. Uh, I have, I've led large transformations in big enterprises and uh, obviously started off my career as, a, as an entrepreneur. So sort of have that uh, zeal to keep making changes in a setup, bringing new, new things in, in everybody's life and focus on developer efficiency, uh, which I believe if we deliver great to our developers, our developers can develop great to our customers. So that's that's typically who I am, uh, focusing on 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 open source cloud, multi cloud, hybrid cloud kind of kind of an experience that I bring with. So I want to continuing with the basics beyond beyond just you, uh, for my listeners, because this show is it tends to be for for leadership and folks who are you know trying to make sense of this digital transformation that we're all going through. Let's Let's lay some fundamentals. What is DevOps? Well, okay. Um, I, on a very light note, it's the most abused term, right? So uh, the, the, the way I would put it uh, is very clear. It's, it's a very large uh, bucket of things uh, which helps the organization transform. Uh, I, I would classify them as uh, largely cultural change that the organization has to bring in top down. Uh, everybody's assumption uh, when, when we talk about it from a leadership point of view, uh, they believe DevOps is like a ground up thing saying, oh, somebody is doing automation and it's going to work. Uh, but yeah, it's the convergence of a top down initiative to say, as an organization, I want to make a change, uh, help our uh, developers, customers move fast, and then obviously a grassroots initiative where uh, people are thinking automation first. Uh, people want to codify everything uh, from infrastructure to configuration to uh, the code, obviously. And the convergence of these two is DevOps. I mean, it's it's a very different take to it when when people say it's a convergence and of Dev and Ops. I would say it's a convergence of culture from a top-down initiative and a bottom-up initiative to help move things faster. Uh, I really like that definition because that's exactly where I'm, where I'm going with this this show and trying to reach leadership because I think it's it has that perception of being just purely bottom-up, but I think you've probably seen it. Without that top-down, it's not gonna it's not gonna be what it needs to be. So I think that's really an important definition. Absolutely. So the other other kind of fundamentals is what is 
what is the what's the reality of the cloud transformation and and going cloud native there's a there's a bunch of terms folks are using when when they describe this what what are you seeing when it comes to uh, cloud adoption at enterprise scale well okay i mean this is uh, i mean again like devops thankfully cloud is not not an abuse term, right? I mean, it's, it really drives value instantly. Uh, but again, one of the, uh, at an enterprise level, unfortunately it's sold, uh, sold to an enterprise with a, with a mindset of saying this is going to save cost, right? Uh, and again, maybe the big cloud providers don't sell it that way, but it's bought into an enterprise with that intent. But again, uh, having said that, Thankfully, most of the enterprises realize that that's not the only thing. And the biggest transformation which cloud, bring, cloud brings in is, uh, I would say, sort of twofold. One, very importantly, is you being close to the customer. You could set up your, uh, instead of having data center in one location and serving the globe, uh, if you're if an you're enterprise serving customers in all different locations, you could set up your um, cloud data center or a cloud setup closer to the customer. So that sort of enriches customers' experience, um, helps in data residency kind of a thing, which is also uh, quite important in, in the current scenario and what sort of panned out uh, in the recent times. Uh, and the second bit, which is, again, when I focus or have the developer mindset or the developer efficiency mindset, Cloud gives you the flexibility to work on fancy new stuff uh, without large investment, right? So a developer could quickly try out the latest technology, quickly try out, let's say, a, uh, a serverless, um, uh, I mean, the latest of hardware, ARM processors, whatever they might be, without seeking for a large investment, pilot it and showcase what they want to do, which is the real or the true feeling of agile, uh, which which brings in uh, or which comes with this advent of cloud. So again, a slightly different take of why cloud transformation is happening, uh, but it's it's twofold. As I, I to summarize, one uh, to to entice the developer and to to entice the customer by being closer to them. That makes a lot of sense. I I do hear though some people have misconceptions. Uh, that this means that the data center is going to probably go away, that everything's going to move to the cloud. Do you, do you feel that's a reality or, or is the data center fine and, and the cloud's going to be for, for bursting for these data residency, these different purposes and use cases, and they kind of coexist? Uh, it's, it, I, I would say, Kim, this is quite a tough question to see from an enter enterprise viewpoint. Uh, Companies that are focusing very heavily to say um, being close to the customer is the key. Uh, they they go very heavily towards uh, a cloud-only approach, right? So because uh, your your data center uh, probably will get old very soon. Uh, you you've bought your capex or you put your investment three years, five years ago. And, and the kind of demands that you have from the customers these days, uh, if you're, you're bursting or you're setting up your Kubernetes instance or you're setting up um, API first kind of a development, all of those, 
easier done in the cloud. And when you start focusing and when your infrastructure team starts focusing on cloud, the one, the investment starts going down on your data center, which eventually means uh, it becomes old and not maintainable, right? So in those scenarios, I would say enterprises are heavily moving towards cloud only. But again, uh, in in when, when I used to manage the uh, cloud center of excellence, one of the bits that I realized is a, a sort of an intermediate approach where companies are taking to keep data uh, or the database on on-prem, right? Uh, your logging, your monitoring, et cetera, happening on your on-prem instances, whereas your um, other, I mean, let's say the computer is happening on, on cloud, right? So this is the second set where both cloud and higher data center is going to coexist. The third, which is also a very known, I would say, a model being adopted, uh, bursting, uh, bursting on both fronts, right? Bursting in terms of, uh, let's say, an e-commerce website uh, trying to manage peaks. Uh, they are obviously using cloud to scale up uh, during some seasons. But then there is the other segment who burst during the development cycle. So they say, my production is stable uh, because they're potentially a B2B uh, ecosystem or even a B2C ecosystem where they, are, where they have a predictable load. Uh, they use, um, they, they, they set up uh, production instances on-prem, but they have the test instances, they have the dev ecosystem, et cetera, sitting on cloud. So they could uh, kill those instances as soon as they are done, right? So uh, it, it's a mixed bag in the enterprise segment, okay, where uh, all, all combinations of this exist. Um, the, the, having said that, one of the key things which, which we sell uh, heavily to our employees is irrespective of whether it's the data center or the cloud, the skills sort of remain the same, right? So the people, the skill is needed. Uh, maybe where it's hosted, the, the underlying infrastructure could be changing. Sorry, can I, you're on, I, I can't hear you. Sorry, there was a, a weed eater lawnmower yeah. outside and I went mute. So let's try that again. Okay. That's why we're not live streaming so we can do this. Sure. <laughs> so that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I would say it really depends on the use case and, and, the, and the, the type of resources you have on hand, you know, the, the staff, how they're going to be able to do things, what your customers are needing. And, and I would say the industry you're in uh, really influences it. And one of the things I hear a lot, um, and I would love to get your opinion on is, what's the reality of multi-cloud? And it, can you be multi-cloud? And, and what are the, the reasons why enterprise organizations are exploring being multi-cloud? Okay. Uh, I, mean, uh, I mean, this is this is a debate that starts on day one, right? I mean, uh, the reason being uh, most of the organizations I mean, large enterprises for sure are transitioning from their data center to cloud. So, which means uh, they have 100% control on their data, on their infrastructure, on their security, uh, on their skills, everything combined, they have the control on their own data center. When they move to the cloud, uh, the first conversation is, oh, if I choose X uh, cloud service provider, I will be locked with them, right? So, um, and let's say if, if a particular cloud service provider, uh, it's 
obviously sold saying we have been reducing cost year on year. So seven years from now, you will be paying much lesser than what you are today. But then when you put the finance angle to it, when you say, when you shift from a pure CapEx model, uh, where you're done, you're able to uh, uh, put this very nicely in your balance sheets. But when you move into a pure play OPEX model, uh, this dramatically changes, right? So uh, in a hybrid cloud scenario, uh, it, it's the conversation which starts off in the beginning, right? So should we use one cloud service provider? Should we use many? Because we are not locked to a particular cloud service provider. But as you keep exploring, you realize um, the investment needed uh, to move to a single cloud service provider uh, is slightly lower because one, you need specific set of skills. I mean, though, let's say a GCP or a Azure or an AWS have similarities, but there are skills or the niche in the market in terms of the architecture, in terms of some of the uh, embedded cloud native solutions, which are very, very specific to a cloud service provider. You need skills which have to cater to all. So the investment in terms of skills dramatically increases if you start choosing multi-cloud. Uh, second, which is again, very, very complex in this ecosystem is how do you make your application multi-cloud ready, right? Uh, it's, it's easier to say, okay, I adopt, I know this is Azure. I, I use the whole ecosystem to say Azure, Azure DevOps, uh, maybe some functions on Azure, right? But then uh, if you're using Azure Kubernetes service, maybe you do not have an exact replica of, I mean, if you've built everything for Azure Kubernetes service, is it as simple as taking this and putting on uh, uh, the uh, AWS Kubernetes service? Is it instant lift and shift? It's not true. So there's a lot of work that needs to happen to make it one, multi-cloud ready, two, cloud native, uh, and then, it's not just the application, it's, it's the skills, is the database, uh, it's the connectivity from your data center, how many pipes are you gonna put from your, uh, from your infrastructure to reduce latency? And maybe in some of these setups, this is not really required, but when you get to um, low latency kind of a compute needed, uh, then a lot of these things come in picture saying, do I dedicate, focus on a provider and go full steam on it? But again, uh, companies who are successfully able to do it uh, are one who have built their own platform, which is basically a layer above multiple clouds and say, this is our way to deploy onto multi-clouds. Uh, so scaling across different platforms. The second where people have been able to completely make it cloud native and have a good exit strategy, right? It's not an entry strategy that's important. They need to have a good exit strategy. Have they automated it fully? Can they, uh, can they completely demolish the instance on one cloud service provider and bring it up on some other cloud service provider in a fully automated fashion? So obviously, which means they have put a lot of investments behind the scene. If they have done these, they are successful in a hybrid cloud scenario. Otherwise, it's, it's, uh, it's basically, I use service A on one cloud service provider, service B on cloud service provider, second cloud service provider. It's not like a hybrid DR scenario, but it's like I have used, uh, it's, it's spread across different things for the best of breed. Yeah. Are the, this, you mentioned skills quite a bit. 
in, in that and previous descriptions, are you able to, are you hiring um, and able to find this type of talent externally? Or are you having to train people up to, to meet these needs? Um, uh, I mean, again, strategies vary. Ken. I mean, this is, this is my third company where I have, have, I've been playing the role on the cloud side. Uh, every company has a different strategy uh, depending on where they are located um, and depending on um, uh, obviously the the availability in the market, right? So uh, taking this simple example in my prior setup, uh, we were getting very good um, uh, very good people in the market who are focused on a single cloud service provider, right? So they would say, um, which is how things were in the past saying, I'm a Java architect, I'm a C++ architect. Now we are seeing segments of saying, I'm an AWS specialist or I'm an Azure specialist, right? Um, but there, uh, and people who have taken a multi-cloud journey are unfortunately one level higher. I mean, they're, they're more surfacial in terms of, I know all services, I know how to move to the cloud, but when you get, they are not really able to build platforms. Uh, which which could scale across two things. So as a combination of uh, what I said, uh, companies are retraining. Uh, so there is a lot of investment going into helping people scale up on multi-cloud scenarios. It's not just the developer that you need to train. Uh, in some cases, you need to train the customer uh, because you need to tell what really this brings, uh, how, how are, let's say, the billing model going to change because maybe we were saying you need to pay X amount to us for a transaction uh, in cloud, maybe it's a different thing. I mean, we say, okay, when you scale up, this is what you need to pay. Uh, so uh, so it's, it's skills beyond developer, which, which is there on the cloud. And with respect to uh, uh, non, beyond developers, it's not just the customer. You need to train the QA because the QA has to test in different environments. You need to test, retrain your infrastructure people because managing AKS is different to uh, OpenShift being very, very different, right? So you, it's, it's multi-dimensional skills uh, which are needed in the market right now. Yeah, it's uh, it, and really investing in the people side of this and investing in the in in being able to properly tear down, set up, tear down this and, and, and do it architecturally. But you mentioned the, the cost part and you did this er earlier on too. Cause I remember the early promise of Amazon was it's going to be cheaper. And I remember my data center, it was costly for me to, to do things in my data center, make changes. So the, the low cost promise of Amazon was, was a, a big selling point in the early day. And then they stopped using that because I think once the secret got out that your bill wasn't going to be cheaper and it actually could change. And then Azure has a different approach. And so do you need someone just paying attention to the bill and, and having, are there, there are ways that, that you're having to help enterprise organizations manage costs at the, at this level? Oh, absolutely. I think this is, can, I would say this is one of the most important aspects. Um, you're, you're right. Uh, Amazon did have uh, have the approach of saying we reduce costs on a monthly basis or a yearly basis. And they, one of the graphs that I remember is saying we have reduced AWS costs 70 times 
so which is uh, which is which is quite interesting when senior leadership looks at it saying okay this is diminishing cost so it's it's great mm-hmm. service but uh, w- one of the things that i'm noticing across all setups is uh, neither did uh, azure or amazon tell any lies right so they really did say the truth in terms of saying yes the cost will reduce but then if you do things right right so uh, if you behave like a data center on the cloud you're going to burn money right so you you need to redesign for the cloud you need to think cloud first and then obviously the the cost benefits are coming uh, but stepping back onto the topic that you mentioned one of the things that's really in focus these days um i i i think this was in the cloud uh, state of cloud report as well uh the number of companies investing on a team which focuses on cloud cost is dramatically increasing right so it's uh, when when people move to the cloud the first thing that they thought okay this is something now it's 100% opex i will look at some dashboards and i'll make the cloud service provider um manage this is was was wrong right so they are investing on uh either bringing in a finops team cloudonomics i mean there are there are various uh names teams adopt uh, or they even call it the cloud uh ops team or the cloud finance team uh and this team focuses on uh proper monitoring dashboarding budget management um reporting back to the cfos or the cfo the finance structure in terms of um how the old capex has now transformed into opex and last but not the least uh, which which is which is something that i really enjoyed in uh, in one of the organizations that i worked is pure play gamification of this right so uh, you you would pitch one team against the other saying okay look your cloud cost was x this team's cloud cost was y uh, and month on one month on month it's a race who helps reduce the cost the most right uh, and reduction of cost comes in by saying uh, have i put the right practices in place have i put the right measures in place right so uh, a, a product dealing with 10000 customers will certainly have more cost than a product dealing with 5000 customers right but do we have the right measures to say what is the cost per customer here cost per customer here or a cost per transaction cost per transaction how do you measure these two and gamify and reward them i mean it, it's a funny thing you name them shame them reward them penalize them how how however you want to uh, call it right so and it works beautifully in companies where they take this positively and challenge each other to say okay my architect is doing better in terms of reorganizing uh, my teams for betterment in terms of cost uh, and can i i want to touch upon one important factor when you when you bring this uh, which is which i found very very interesting i'll not name the cloud service provider but uh, this cloud service provider we had an engagement with this cloud service provider and very interestingly uh, when you sign up with them they give you two people uh, one person is an architect one person is an efficiency person right so the objective of the cloud service provider with this person is to help reduce cost for you right uh and the second person is to increase cost for you in the sense increase cost is by adopting new services so they even with the cloud service provider they put in these uh genuinely try to help the customer 
uh, in helping the customer move forward by putting these sort of gamification factors in, in those ways. And they even those people are rewarded based on that. So if, if the first person, I mean, he's more like the technical account manager, comes and says, um, I have increased uh, the footprint of 10 services to 20 services, he gets rewarded for it. But the architect or the uh, sort of the solution person, he is designed to say, how can I reduce the cost for this person by for this customer by saying uh, these people were using for this product uh, 10 C4 instances. Now they have gone into eight some other kind of instances and it's helping them reduce cost but better efficiency. I mean, this is something that I really love with that cloud service provider. Yeah, those two roles are 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 opposite of each other and and pushing on each other to to find that right balance and and help the customer strike a balance in 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 the cost and efficiency. And this really feels like I would say a lot of what I've seen in in DevOps, you know, when it comes to the optimization for quality and 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 productivity when it comes to development teams being able to move faster, release velocity, all these things but you're doing it from a overall architectural and cost perspective. That's, that's powerful. Yep. True. That's true. So one of the other, you mentioned it earlier, you mentioned data residency being closer to the, the, the customer, but within data residency, there's, I'm, I'm hearing a lot more packed into this and it could be under data sovereignty. I've even seen data nationalism used, um, regulatory uh, uh, mandates that you have to operate within certain regions or zones. And I know that the, the cloud providers uh, feed into this in various ways. So is that is is regu regulations a big driver of, of the cloud strategy you see across enterprises? Uh, absolutely. I mean, Again, this is one of the key factors that comes in, right? So, uh, I'm, uh, let's say a US-based company, uh, if we say uh, we are developing largely in, let's say, in India or, or, or Philippines, uh, and their customers are Europe, right? Uh, it's always uh, a debate to say uh, the company originated in, in certain locations, so why don't we host this data there? But then as, uh, with, with regards to being closer to the customer, you would say this data needs to be closer to uh, maybe Europe or wherever the customer is, uh, or the developer, because the developer spends most of the time doing those evolutions, working with the cloud, where, uh, where should these be, right? Uh, so in, uh, in, in terms of enterprises, in terms of uh, what domain they are in, right? So. If, if it's obviously a banking domain, they want to make sure data uh, data residency is very, very, very important, right? I mean, all the policies, governance, et cetera, is highly important. If you are in healthcare, then uh, obviously this becomes very heavily personal data. Uh, then you're looking at it in, in a factor saying, is it even safe to put this data on the cloud, right? So, uh, but... Uh, very clearly can, I mean, a simple answer to your question is, yes, all of these play a part, uh, but even higher is the thought process in the organization, culture in the organization in terms of saying, what do they want to protect? What are their customers asking you to protect? Uh, and obviously what kind of relations you want to keep 
uh, and how close you want this data to be, how fast this data needs to reach them, right? So a combination of all of this, uh, again, all of the all the GDPR, the OFAC licenses, um, uh, PCI kind of a content, I mean, all these play a role. Uh, and again, uh, the, the bit we touched upon earlier was a conversation on a cloud evangelist with the CFO uh, in terms of convincing how cloud is, cloud is cheaper and effective. But this is with the CISO, right? So you will have to, uh, the cloud evangelist job is not just convincing a developer, but it's convincing a CISO, convincing a chief financial officer, uh, convincing uh, the CEO in terms of being closer to the customer. Everybody plays a role. Uh, and all of them have factors to play in before this decision is made. Yeah, this uh, I saw, uh, I was reading through a cybersecurity report from the U.S. federal government, and they were providing a, cal a calculation for cost of data breaches. And it was based upon, is it PCI, payment information? Is it PII, personal information? Or is it PHI, personal health information? And then number of which one of those it is and number of records. So scope thousands, okay. are we talking millions? And then wow. the price goes up for the, 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 the responsibility or the cost of the data breach around that. And so, and then that feeds into, uh, you mentioned GDPR, CCPA. So can you actually find those records? Do you know the scope of the data that you're storing? So security it's always top of mind. You always hear people kind of paying attention to it, but it's really kind of hard to quantify in this cloud native new, you know, Kubernetes, this, this, this hyperscale world. What is security from your vantage point? What, what should organizations be paying attention to and investing in? Um, okay. Uh, it's, it's, it's a tricky area, Ken. I mean, uh, security, uh, the, the, the bit that I mentioned is uh, it, it's where your data, I mean, again, all, all aspects, right? So how secure, the, the, the feeling you had that your data center was secure, right? Uh, and that perception to move from this to a factor, um, of putting this on the cloud, right? Uh, again, this is this is a very well-known factor. Uh, the number of accidents, I mean, you're more prone to an accident sitting in a car versus sitting in an aeroplane, but everybody fears sitting in an aeroplane and not sitting in a car, right? And it's very similar because you have less control of things in the cloud, and that's a perception. And the security is no different. When, when you are, uh, when you're thinking of security on your data center, it's it's that homely feeling to say it's hundred percent secure, right? Uh, so you you focus on uh, putting the right firewalls, you're putting the right um, uh, controls, and then obviously there are certain segment of people who have all the access on their data center. So it's it's the perception of being secure. But when when it moves to the cloud, obviously we are looking at uh, a larger surface area of attack uh, because. It's not a one-time move that you've completely shut down your data center and you've moved to the cloud. So for a period of time, you're transitioning from your data center to the cloud. So you've sort of doubled your surface area of attack on, on a security viewpoint. Uh, and that phase is obviously quite complicated because you're managing two setups. But once you move to the cloud, uh, the thought process always is uh, uh, the, the, uh, 
the the cost of managing very basic level of security uh, is quite low, right? So uh, if you want the basic security principles which the cloud service provider gives, uh, if you do things right in terms of setting up the right uh, access control, uh, the 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 logic of least privilege access, all of those, if you do it, I would say cloud is fairly secure. But the moment you get into the next level of security, trying to bring in, uh, I think it's the Azure Armor, uh, AWS has something similar, I mean, like high-scale DDoS protection, et cetera, the cost like blows up very, very heavily, right? But again, it's not just the cost. It's also about knowing what kind of attacks are possible on the cloud uh, and how do you contain them, right? Um, so I think these are factors playing above and beyond just the data residency, uh, what kind of attacks do we see? Uh, are we seeing new age kind of an attacks? But there is a very uh, one segment of people who are quite happy with the structure is people who are really, really automating, uh, thinking DR, thinking uh, high availability even before, as a higher priority on security, right? So if you can completely rebuild your infrastructure in matter of seconds uh, through your automation scripts, completely codified um, applications, they are less fearing the whole security uh, thing. Obviously the security on data loss continues to exist and that's the segment of people who are trying to uh, look at, uh, uh, let's say, uh, the encryption during transit, encryption during rest, and all of those kind of stuff. But again, very heavily focused on putting those data in your data center and hoping that it's safe. Uh, so that's, that's, I would say, a very safe approach. But uh, the, the, the logic of security is multifold in terms of skills, in terms of you investing heavily on the cloud service provider uh, beyond, beyond data. Yeah, I really like your response. And I apologize for putting you on the spot there regarding security. It wasn't part of our original questions. And I know that's not uh, your main focus, but you brought it home beautifully because it's in, in from my vantage point in the world of APIs, a lot of people like to talk about penetration testing, authentication, all the kind of obvious encryption, as you said. And but really, like the number one security problem with APIs is enterprise organizations just don't know where all their APIs are. Correct. Like they don't have control. They don't have discoverability. They don't even know where they are. And so it's not a matter of, oh, I'm sure there's vulnerabilities in there, but like you're, you don't even know what's powering your web apps and, and you don't have that, that topology control that you talked about. Because if you're using, uh, if you have that level of control to tear something down, put it, stand it up, you know all the moving parts. You know where all your APIs are. You understand your infrastructure. You're using Kubernetes. You're using, and so just having that level of control over your infrastructure is going to help make your world much more secure. And then you can start addressing all of those actual known knowns when it comes to security, because the unknown unknowns are a lot less. True, and I think in one of the uh, one of the points that you brought about, uh, which is very important, which we miss is uh, in the new age world, and when, when people are developing um, fully backward compatible kind of an application, they have uh, not just the code, but 
be it APIs, uh, be it microservices, uh, toggle-based development, all of those, the, the amount of code that gets unused or things that sort of become uh, uh, the functionality that starts getting unused uh, becomes quite large, right? And people lose focus. Uh, they just switch off the toggle and say, oh, this, this feature is switched off. But then do you really know that that part of the code which is not being accessed and not available from a UI standpoint is that vulnerable, right? Uh, so that, that and this, this heavily happens uh, both, when I say code, obviously these mean APIs as well. I mean, you have, you have some redundant APIs which was catering to a customer and that customer no longer exists, but you just switched off an API, but then the code really exists behind the scene. And that could be uh, uh, open loophole, uh, which is very difficult to invest and keep investing saying, okay, I have all these, how do I keep fixing it? And associated to that is documentation, right? What have you put in that documentation to say, uh, what are you giving up uh, in terms of uh, what can people external to the company look into and then see it as a potential area of attack? So uh, be, yeah. beyond code. It's, it's got to be visible. Yeah. It, True. Yeah. It's got to be visible, observable. It's got to be documentation's a piece of that. But I, I, you, you describe many of the high profile breaches that I've heard of. The Equifax data breach was stood up for a mobile, for a contest. It was an API. You know, the, the, it was, the feature was turned off, as you said. Uh, but this API still lived out there. It, they didn't get the patch, the Java struts eight patch, I believe on it. It didn't, you know, and let that vulnerability open. It didn't have the right policies. And so pe once someone got access, they were able to get access to a large number of records. Um, sure. There was just many layers there and it's just based upon lack of uh, visibility there. So as you're evolving, as you're doing what you do uh, on a daily basis, are your challenges mostly technical and dealing with architecture and, and processes? Is it more business and getting the funding and making sure these things are properly invested in? Or would you say it's more political and politics and people and, and culture type changes? Um, I think, uh, Ken, I mean, all of them come in phases. Uh, I think the, the first one uh, is when, when you're working on the buy-in in terms of saying, uh, move to the cloud or move to move, have a big digital or a cultural transformation, there is a huge set of resistance, right? So there is uh, there is a resistance in terms of uh, people, uh, resistance, largely people, right? I mean, uh, people at a developer level saying, oh, I don't want to learn something new. Uh, there will be uh, resistance at um, management level to say, oh, this is too much of an impact and it'll uh, it will change the focus for us because functionality is more important. Moving to the cloud is not, uh, and at a management level, which is which is sort of talking business, is saying, "Oh, I have very clear visibility on my data center. I have control over my data. I have control over my people. Why do you want to shake the tree?" Right. So, uh, so it it is a combination of all three, um, largely political to begin with, uh, because there is resistance. Then it becomes a people challenge uh, because you you have to move uh, early adopters. You have to give them things that that are really really 
fast for them because you need them to keep churning out something new and become an evangelist within the organization. For the laggers, you need to help them give right business cases and help them move. So it becomes more of a people challenge next. And the third, which is a technical challenge, because you've in this whole storyline, you've probably oversold uh, or you have underestimated the uh, the the the, um, the change, right? Uh, because you you have to make and we discussed all these points is uh, you need to relook at architecture. How how clear cloud native do you want to be? Do you want to just lift and shift and I mean, there are companies who would have over-promising, oh, you take the whole infrastructure as is, port it on the cloud, lift and shift, absolutely you're not going to see any cost difference. I mean, in fact, over a period of time, you'll start losing money, right? But uh, that's, that's like the uh, fast decision, uh, long-term cost impact. But if you want to take high impact at the beginning, it means a lot of technical evolution. I mean, you need to, uh, you need to have the skills, you need to know what needs to be done, um, learn new things. Imp I mean, again, cloud is is really uh, finding a needle in the haystack, right? I mean, you uh, everything is available, but what is the right thing for your for your need? So, a good partnership with a cloud service provider, uh, working well with the architects from the cloud service provider, all of that helps in the third phase when you go deep down tech. Wow! Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's definitely a, a all hands process. The entire org's got to be at this. This has to be top down, bottom up okay. to do right. Is this? I mean, based on the industries you've worked in, is this something all enterprises should be thinking about at investment at this level? Is it, or is it just if you're heavy tech focused enterprise organization, or is this pretty much any enterprise should be thinking at this level you know, to do business in today's climate? Uh, I would say the, the, the fastest approach, Ken, is to find uh, those opportunities within your organization which can move fast, right? So let's say a greenfield project. Um, you're building a completely brand new project, brand new customer. Uh, take that plunge uh, across any, I mean, across any enterprise, I think this should work. I mean, even if it's a, even if it's a banking domain which is heavily regulated, I think one of the easiest things is to look at that greenfield project, which you can start building afresh on cloud. Use these success stories and sell it within the organization to say, look, this is how a successful model will work. Uh, one of the one of the very interesting factors that I uh, I, I think this is when I was talking to somebody from uh, Netflix or Spotify. I don't remember, but one of the key things that they said is. If you copy us, you will fail, right? So every company or an every enterprise will have to figure out their way of uh, working in the cloud. If for everybody, it's different. Uh, so the best approach is greenfield. The second best approach is um, certainly not lift and shift, but re-architect to to the cloud. Take some applications which can where where customers, uh, people. All of them align to that goal to say, yes, cloud is a good thing to do. Uh, so that's, uh, and only when you have good evangelists within the organization, try making it a large scale process within the setup. Uh, otherwise it's, uh, it's gonna blow up in your face in terms of saying, oh, we took a huge plunge to the cloud, uh, but then we are struggling. Uh, so you have to work in that approach. 
and again this is something which i spoke about from a from a banking industry standpoint for e-commerce is very different uh, primarily because they are more b2c and for them the first more advantage uh, really really matters so using the latest and greatest flexibility that they get in the cloud is always a good thing to adopt and move yeah, I think that B2B or B2C is really going to dictate, because you said it early on, uh, you have to explain this to your customer, how things are going to, you have to keep your operations in alignment with your customers and how things, what their world looks like, otherwise you're going to fail. So this is a, a producer and a consumer uh, relationship that has to move forward in, in, in equal time. So as, as part of that, the world's shifted in the last two years uh, pretty substantially in, in various ways, in different industries um, differently. How has COVID impacted your world? Oh, I mean, uh, obviously, I mean, uh, again, I'll take the same people customer view. Uh, on the people side, on the skill side, uh, we have, uh, I mean, most of the organizations have gone remote, right? So, uh, so when, when we look at uh, uh, people working in different locations, they have demands from different locations. So if you have one data center, uh, if you're looking at a developer efficiency, having one data center, having all these dev infrastructure sitting in one location has its own problems. You're probably not as effective. Uh, but when, when we look at the customer side, obviously there is uh, one large segment, uh, which is, everybody wants to be digital first, right? So the, the kind of transformation people saw, people expected to happen in the next 10 years, they want it all crunched in the next one year, saying, oh, I want this now because my customer has become more demanding. My customer wants um, uh, fast-paced development. They want it to be more agile. So there is a huge demand coming up. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm excluding all the negativities that come with COVID-19. But all the positives that it comes with is faster traction towards transformation, uh, faster trans, uh, traction towards adopting or thinking in a new way uh, where, where people said, oh, DR is not really required. Now they really know DR is required. Uh, and, and with potential, uh, not directly with COVID, but also I, I think a lot of security attacks have increased. Uh, all that makes a lot of difference in terms of upskilling your people for uh, for the new demands that are coming in. So I would say COVID has done has done an impact in the short term, negative impact in the short term, but very positive impact in the long term. What? How do you? We talked about upskilling, and and you just talked about staying in tune with what's happening. How do you stay sharp and knowing what's coming next as a and and keep keep you your skills in, uh, relevant to the companies you work for? Uh, I would say hiring the best talent. Uh, they keep you on your toes. Uh, so if if you hire the uh, if you if you get good people, they push you up uh, along with themselves. Uh, but that's uh, that's certainly the mantra for uh, for for being in touch. But then uh, also being, uh, I, I would say, uh, connected, building your network. Uh, building your network in the new world is very, very different uh, because uh, you're not attending conferences in person. You're not 
we are not personally meeting people as much as we did in the past. We're not even networking with people as much within the organization, right? So uh, maybe maybe we restart some of those, but uh, I think conferences, listening to great podcasts, uh, uh, reading through uh, a lot of content, and again, uh, culturally different again, Kim, uh, Kim uh, is how much are you contributing back to the society, right? So the more you give, the more you get. Uh, I think that's one of the bits that I push my people to say, uh, go speak in conferences. It's not about attending, but go speak in conferences, uh, run your own meetup groups, do your workshops. Uh, so you share more data, uh, you get more in that process which you don't realize. But if you go in the hunt of learning more, uh, you're limited by opportunity. I like it. And I would add, join people on podcasts <laughs> like you're doing with me Absolutely. today. Because this is, I would say, Breaking Changes has become my networking uh, opportunity and meeting smart folks and learning from smart folks like you. So uh, this has been great. I, I learned a lot. Um, I really I really like the, the financial, uh, you called it earlier, FinOps, you know, being able to manage the the money side of this this is something i would love to explore more and i i think i might ping you and have you sure. back and have a, a deeper conversation Absolutely. on that uh because we're this this will sh will go out as a regular episode but we're doing a lot of other segments derived from the conversations we have and um leading up to a conference next year as well so i'll i'll be in touch further uh to to see where how we can get you involved but I really appreciate your time today. It's been pretty enlightening. Thanks Thank a you. lot, Ken. It's it's a pleasure speaking to you as well. Uh, you did you did dig into corners of my brain. So uh, thanks for it, uh, and I'm happy happy to contribute more. Thank you so much. Appreciate appreciate it. <laughs>